This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and an incredible feature called Cover Pages. Try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com and enter offer code SNELL at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. The Incomparable Number 233, February 2015. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and I'm convening a uh, special edition of our comic book club, I guess. I'm joined by comic book club stalwarts Lisa Schmeiser, Monty Ashley, and Andy Anatko. We're not actually talking about uh, a particular work in this in this episode. We're, we're going to be talking about comic book continuity and storytelling and business decisions made by large publishing conglomerates <laughs> regarding their intellectual property, which actually I think is a really interesting topic. We're, you know, um, a few weeks ago, Marvel Comics announced that they were going to be uh, doing a uh, kind of capping off a, uh, a story arc from their Avengers comics and doing uh, something new that was going to lead to a new status quo and they were going to do another Secret Wars miniseries and, uh, and you know, and seems like shut down the, the Ultimate Universe and maybe do a, a soft reboot of the existing Marvel Universe. And of course, a couple of years ago, uh, DC Comics did the same thing with something called The New 52 after their Flashpoint miniseries. And actually, as we record this, the Today, uh, DC Comics announced that they're doing another kind of thing that is not the new 52, but it's like the old 25 and the new 22 or something <laughs> like that. These are big companies. Obviously, Marvel's owned by Disney and DC Comics is owned by Warner. But um, I, I just I think it's interesting because we've got comic storytelling and then we've got corporate intellectual property and then we've got uh, kind of like marketing and stunts that are used to sell comics and I wanted to I wanted to talk about it I wanted to start by just saying I am uh, actually a big fan of Ultimate Spider-Man so I guess since nothing else has ever been successful in the Ultimate Universe that <laughs> oh. makes me a fan of the Ultimate Universe um, and <laughs> and I like the old Ultimate with Peter Parker and then they killed him and brought back or created Miles Morales who's actually a fun alternate Spider-Man and so from that perspective it's a kind of a milestone for me what Marvel is doing because it seems like they're finally sort of saying yeah we don't need that anymore it's also true that a lot of the influence of the Ultimate Universe has already been felt the Marvel Cinematic Universe is very ultimate spot uh, you know ultimate universe and the mainstream marvel universe has they even like oh did we not mention nick fury is black he's black now <laughs> so they've done all of these things to kind of adopt that um so on that level i'm i'm sort of sad that that this interesting experiment is coming to an end um i also am, am I, i've got a lot of trepidation about the idea that they're revisiting the secret wars because i was a i was a comic book reader when the original secret wars happened and it was kind of uh, from a storytelling standpoint i mean yeah spider-man got a cool new costume and all it was kind of a disaster um no. it was I, I feel like it was one of the original comic book event disasters and no. so to see them replaying it wow. you're talking about the series that got me into comics because wow. here, here, here is and i know that it was inspired to sell it to, to sell a brand new toy line <laughs> synergy 
it's, it was we could sell comics and and toys. Multi level synergy. Put it all together. But you had, but you had, you had one event that said we're going to sample elements of everything that we publish and put these characters all together into one storyline that lasts for exactly twelve issues that will tell a complete story from the beginning, middle, and end, and has all these really cool moments in the middle of it. I will tell you exactly the page that became that, that turned <laughs> me into like a fan of comics, right. and that's where Doctor Doom has stolen the power of Galactus. This 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 cosmic character that destroys planets so that he can fight another entity that is the entire the embodiment of an entire universe because he is Doctor Doom and he figures, well, I bet I can steal his power too. And he fails in about a microsecond. Not just failing, but he is just being torn apart molecule by molecule in this amazing page being drawn by Mike Zek, in which you see this this guy that you've been following for about Eight issues, nine issues so far, the real master plotter and schemer of just this guy with a nobility and ability to execute a plan. And this one page that I remember the dialogue as being, it's possible that now that I'm being torn apart molecule by molecule by a force I can barely comprehend, much less fight against, this might not have been a good plan. (laughs) Next panel, wait a minute. The fact that I came up with this plan meant that it has to be a good plan. I'm going to stick ah, with this. Well, that's Doctor Doom, and and I, I won't get into what happens to the rest of the issue. But that's <laughs> I, I want to know more about this guy. I, yes. I, I I know that I had seen copies of Fantastic Four before that. Uh, you know the Lee, Lee Kirby issues and like later Lee Kirby issues. None of them really got me to really find out what is what is about this guy that's uh, in, in a way that's totally not arrogant. It's just that hey, look, I mean, I have such confidence in my plans and what I did that even though that I, now I now I'm literally being dissected by this universe that is trying to figure out what it is that makes me so crazy. That's just what made me into a fan. It had its desired effect on you, which is it provided you with a sort of a sampler of what they had, and that was and it attracted you to try it, and it got you into it. Right. It, this is this is a less a, a diatribe, like defending Secret Wars, as an explanation that every series that somebody absolutely hates might be that series that not only just somebody liked, but got somebody to flip them from not being a fan of comics into somebody who would you know, be coming to the comic book shop every single week. Jim Shooter, not really great with dialogue. You mean the value of art is kind of subjective and highly personal? It's not absolutely what? objective? What this, is that? This podcast is over. Having said that, Secret War 2 was oh, awful. That was really atrocious, yeah. But. I like Secret War because you had, you know, masses of villains and heroes fighting and it's very straightforward. You know, you know my problem with Secret War is, I mean, Jim Shooter, not a really great writer uh, at least great dialogue guy um although he was the editor-in-chief in marvel during the time when i was reading all the marvel comics part of my problem with it is that i read contest of champions which was a three or four issue miniseries a couple of years before which was the whole idea was what if we had a big tournament with all the heroes and villains and they fought each other and it was kind of a, a really cool miniseries although if you read it carefully you realize that the writer got confused about <laughs> the score, and although it was a victory for one side over the other, if you actually pay attention to the issues, um, it was a tie. <laughs> Oops. Um, some editorial problems. But the problem I had, I think, as a reader when I, when Secret Wars came around is that I felt like, didn't you guys already do this story? And they just did it again. Uh, but it was, <laughs> it, was, it, it was in many ways this incredibly influential comic event. And around the same time, uh, DC did Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was... You know, I, I was always a Marvel guy, but I always felt like the 
the crisis was about continuity in a way that Secret Wars wasn't and that that was the value, I, I think, advantage of Secret Wars was that it was literally the, all right, we know what you want. You want to see everybody fight everybody else. <laughs> we'll do that. We can, we can do that for you. They, but then, of course, Secret War 2, the Beyonder, who was the embodiment of this other universe, yes. came to Earth and just wandered around through every single... Every single comic. Every comic they had. That was for sale. With exciting adventures like Spider-Man teaching him how to pee. Yeah. Yeah. he didn't understand how his body worked. Yeah. Yeah. I just read, I just read one of the Secret Wars 2 crossovers with the X-Men and it was a, a very similar sort of thing. It's like uh, months of plot line must be put on hold so that we have a little quirky tale with the Beyonder. We um, have to sell the copies. Yeah. Th- thank God that Marvel doesn't do that these days, too. No, they don't. Every single crossover is completely organic to the larger story <laughs> they're going to tell. <laughs> yeah, although I was actually, what was I just, what was I just reading? I was just reading something. Um, I can't remember what Marvel event it was, and I was well. Actually, I am reading the Spider Verse event, and although there are side stories, the bulk of that event is being told inside Amazing Spider Man, and <laughs> I don't feel the need for me. I, I don't feel the need to read the other titles. They feel like supplemental material, and that I, 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 I very much feel like. Uh, if I read these eight issues of Amazing Spider-Man, I'm going to get the story. Whereas a lot of these events, it's very much like <laughs> continued next week in Ant-Man number 33. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. I'm not going to read Ant-Man number 33. What are you talking about? This is when you start, who do I know who buys these books? Who can I make good with? Well, this read Power the- Pack to get the full um, story. Okay. No. I, feel, I feel like House of M comes up a lot on Comic Book Club. Yes, it does. <laughs> But that was one of the things that really ticked me off when I was following it is they had a billion tie-ins to, to, oh, you have to see how Captain America would fare in House of M. Spoiler, not well. Um, they had all of these different like one-shots or, or alt-histories or what have you. And I, I finally went through and totted up the amount of money I had spent just, just to get something that was merely background to one of the most epic and, and yet daffy things that Universe has ever done. And bear in mind, I love House of M., I love making fun of it. It's a complicated relationship. <laughs> and after that, I thought, you know what? I'm not ever doing this again where I have to buy all of these different issues across all of these different titles. It doesn't suck me. I didn't become a Captain America reader after that because I, I saw one issue of, of Steve Rogers looking sad in the House of M universe or, or whatever. Every comic book fan has that moment where they say, Enough. I'm not doing this again. That was, by the way, incomparable number 140. We talked about House of M. You can, you can look that one up. For me, Adventures Disassembled was the uh, major event that led into House of M, and that was the one that was, I think, definitively broke me of trying to follow Marvel series events because uh, I remember thinking, okay, so I, I'm i used to – I think it was written by Bendis, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. But so I, I, I'm used to like Bendis-style plotting where there's going to be a lot of lurching forward and then this basically idling for a while, then lurching forward. And I know that's a, that's his style. So I'm sticking with it, sticking with it. Okay, I'm, I'm, wa- I'm like watching the clock, like, like kind of like when you're watching a movie and you realize that oh, gee, there's the, the, the I've, this this movie has been going on for like 93 minutes and a lot is going to have to happen in the next 10 minutes. But okay, let's let's see what happens. I'm 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 really aware of that as this is going on. Saying, gee, he really only has an issue and a half to close a lot of storylines, and I bet this is going to be incredible. And then when I get to the last <laughs> issue, and it's like, so hello, sweet. I'm Doctor Strange, who you haven't seen before this entire <laughs> series. Let <laughs> me explain exactly what has happened, and now I'll just take off with her. You won't find out what happened. 
Oh, really? <laughs> How much money did I spend on this to get that? And it, it's it just feels it. it, it my my I really uh, it, what, what, what I really figured out about all these uh, my relationship to all these mega series from Marvel is that it really is like that scene in uh, A Day at the Races where. Uh, Groucho is is buying a horse tip from 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 Chico, but he, the 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 tip he paid a dollar for is just like the name of the horse in code. But now Chico will sell him a code book to get to decode it. So he decodes it. It's actually the name of a jockey, but he'll sell him like a breeder's guide that gets, that uh, finds out who the jockey is for another dollar. It's like, will you just give me one unit of story that doesn't involve me having to go elsewhere to find out like what the resolution to this is, or find out why why was Peter Parker upset in this scene and why. If they're having a fight in this panel, can, I mean, I'm talking about like an, a disagreement that's that defines character, not not like a, a knock 'em sock 'em battle. Like what? Ugh, I just again, twelve issues. Give me a, give me a beginning, middle, end. That's all. I'll, I'll cite episode twenty one of the Incomparable as well, where we talked about special events and said many complained about many of these same and the, subjects. And the pain so is still back. there, Jason. The pain is still there. I feel mm-hmm. like this is an opportunity for for comics fans to. Um, to get social and interact with their friends in real time, though, because just as I have the, the deeply held theory that we should have comics, comics readers should do what what lots of middle aged ladies who like wine do and have book clubs. You know, I, I seriously drink think heavily. that we should drink heavily and read comics and talk about them. I feel like this is something more comic fans should do because I mentioned comic book clubs to a couple of people who read comics. I'm like, that's a great idea, and I there's there's nothing stopping you from doing this with your friends. Kind of like a support group. I think you're saying. Maybe, a you know, bit. or, it's, it or it's, a dr- it's a drinking club with a book problem. But, um, <laughs> but the other thing, again, I firmly believe that what you have to do is you have to get together like a group of three or four friends. And when there are these mega events, you split the burden. And one of you is like, yeah, I will take one for the team and buy the Thor. And another one of you says, oh. okay, fine. Three part daredevil, whatever. And you all, and everybody takes turns buying the issues and then you pull them all together and you read them. This is a great opportunity for you to increase increase your real world social connections and interact with people and you're not just spending a lot of money and then being angry on the internet no, you can be angry in somebody's house while drinking wine it's well uh, much like better. the thing the wine makes you less angry <laughs> what this is, this is, yes, yes. you might not be drinking enough of it no i'm i'm, I'm, I'm okay trust me i'm okay. i've done experiments it's okay <laughs> <laughs> Time to take a brief break, and I will tell you about our sponsor, Squarespace. You know, building a website used to take a lot of time, took a lot of different skills. You had to set it all up manually, spend all day troubleshooting. You had to set up server information. You had to know how to do HTML, maybe CSS. Easy to break things, hard to learn. Now we don't need that. We don't need that anymore because now we have Squarespace, which lets you make beautiful websites without a sweat. You don't need to know all the super technical details, although if you do know those, you can customize it to your heart's content. And you may have heard about the new version of Squarespace, Squarespace 7. It's got integration with Google Apps. If you need to connect your domains to your email, spreadsheets, and other stuff, it's in there. There's a great partnership with Getty Images. For $10 an image, you get great, high-quality licensed photos for use on your website And of course, there are 15 new design templates, beautiful designs. They look great on desktops. They're responsive, so they also look great on phones and tablets. Now, Squarespace did something really cool for the Super Bowl. They did a special ad campaign with Jeff Bridges, actor Jeff Bridges, who created this awesome project you should check out, The Sleeping Tapes, at Dreaming with Jeff 
Com. So start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, use offer code SNELL to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the podcast. That's promo code SNELL and visit dreamingwithjeff.com. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. So so events, okay, events are problematic. So let's throw in the event as continuity alterer, because like I said, DC has led the way here. DC, with all of its various crises, and then the Flashpoint thing, too, has used events as ways to actually deal with parallel universes and imaginary whatevers and and continuity, which is something that Marvel hasn't done, although it sounds to me like this is where they've been leading for several years with John, Jonathan Hickman's run in Avengers and New Avengers, which I don't know if any of you have read it. I've read a lot of it on Marvel Unlimited, so I'm that means I'm like eight months behind. But I actually think it's kind of good. Um, the, but it's sort of a pre-event. It's like I think I think a lot of what we've seen Marvel do in the last couple of years has been with the knowledge of its creative team that they're about to hit a reset button. Mm. And uh, and Hickman's story is the driver. And and as a science fiction story within Avengers, I think it's actually kind of interesting and fun but um you do have that uh, ripoff feeling too of the this idea that uh the reason that some of the storytelling has been happening is because they realize they've got to get out of jail free card coming in a couple of years <laughs> and have you seen what they're doing after this they announced a force today oh yeah, I, I have think thoughts that's dur- about that i think a yeah. force yeah and we should talk about that i think a force is um, during this, it's, they're they're announcing yeah. a lot of things that are happening during the Secret Wars era before presumably it gets resolved when they're all on like Battle World and continuity is all confused and there are different worlds from different parts of time and space and in there they've announced a A Force, which is an all woman Avengers team that's being written by Willow Wilson, who does Ms. Marvel, and I forget the name of the other writer. Um, but that's it's kind of and Dazzler is in it, which excites me because I have all issues of the '80s Dazzler comics somewhere near <laughs> near me. Big Allison Blair fan yeah. here. Sorry, well, at I least have you're to not a Lila a, Cheney fan. That would just be indefensible. Indes- uh, I am a child of the '80s. You know, if she make, you make a loud enough noise, Allison Blair will fire lasers out of her hands. <laughs> I'm yeah, fascinated. Cool. And she's a rock star, so she's usually around loud noise, is what I'm saying. She used to be the roadie for Lila Cheney, and the only reason I bring that up is because I'm rereading my original run of New Mutants, and I've just gotten oh, yeah, yeah. to the really boring issue where Sam Guthrie can't believe he's dating a rock star. <laughs> But the A-Force announcement feels similar to the, the female Thor announcement. Well, there's also, don't forget the X-Men team up that they've got going on, too, um, where they've got that all-female X, X-Men with uh, Betsy Braddock and the Vampire Jubilee, hurts me to say that, mm. and Storm. <laughs> and Storm. Yeah. Well, I'm fascinated by the costumes on the A-Force image that they put out, because it's from, as they had kind of implied for Secret Wars, it's from all over continuity, yeah. She-Hulk appears to be wearing her Fantastic Four outfit. Yeah. That's clearly the Jean Grey Phoenix, which is right in my comic mm-hmm. book wheelhouse. Well, also Spider-Gwen in the background there. Yeah. I do like that they've got Nico Minoru. Um, so the po- From Runaways. Yes, that's why I'm excited about it. Is I think they've done a really... I think one of the things Marvel has done right in the past decade is they integrated Runaways into the wider Marvel universe in a really elegant and naturalistic way. And... 
and it's plausible. They've yeah. got this new character, Singularity, who's like the living embodiment of a, of a universe or something like that. Who's the <sighs> one who's just a silhouette with stars. Sounds like Captain Universe to me, but... Sounds who, like Sentry to me. Uh, you've also got the Monica Rambeau Captain Marvel all the way in the background there, yeah. along, along with the Carol Danvers Captain and Marvel. And I think 1990s Rogue, if I'm looking at that hair yeah. is that Is that Natasha Romanoff way, way in the back there? Uh, maybe. Although who, it's hard to tell. It could also be... She's got the pistols in Mary both hands. Mary Jane Watson the, from an alternate mm, reality where she's a spy, for all we know. It could be. And since the multiverses are all collapsing, and as I understand it, it's it's uh, they're, they're mashing them all together. And since only one ultimate, ultimate ha, huh, only one yeah. final one can exist, they're, they're basically going to mix and match. This is... It's brilliant. I love what they're doing because this is going to be how Marvel manages to get a whole bunch of fan favorite characters into the movies. Here, here's the other way you could tell stories like this is just let people tell the stories they want to tell. Yeah. yeah. Instead of having to build an event and talk about imaginary universes colliding to get interesting versions of characters together, you could just tell stories with interesting sets of characters and not worry about continuity. Why is it having to tell it? having to do an event events are yeah. fun oh, on because we've already great. talked about how they're financially fraudulent and people are, are are irritated by the inclusion by by the disruption of perfectly normal plot lines for stuff that makes no sense for three issues and but again events events can be fun i'm actually having a lot of fun reading spider-verse because it is fun it is a it is, and and I think maybe this is one way that Marvel has learned some lessons is that these events now seem to be more or less driven by uh, by a single writer. <laughs> so God. like Hickman is driving the Secret Wars thing and has been driving the Avengers thing, and uh, uh, what is it? Uh, is Dan Slott is driving the the Spider Verse stuff, yeah. and um, that makes it a little more cohesive. So I think events can be fun. Events can also feel like huge amounts of work that are put together by calculations about how much money you can make and those are generally a lot less fun and that that's okay and that's okay too what what bothers me about this one is that you you get into you you absolutely do get into the uh the the, the black nick fury situation where he's <laughs> black it, it, it's his son or something whatever Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I, it's it's like when they, they they decided that it was inconvenient to have Peter Parker married, and yeah. so mm-hmm. I, I can understand that. I gotta say, you're a publishing company. I would just much much rather see like a little graphic representation of a post-it note on page one of the whatever the next book is saying. Hi guys, let's just understand that from from now on, let's just pretend this marriage never happened. It's that they have to create this, all this apparatus, and they have to put you have to put these people like on on the View uh, and on, <laughs> on late night talk show. Saying, you know, no, this had nothing to do with the fact that we wanted to be able to market our characters through the movies and television a lot more efficiently. This really was just an organic decision we made that was completely creatively different. <laughs> no, it wasn't. This is it's. I would. It, it's. It feels better when you feel as though like a Crisis on Infinite Earths when they really did feel like this is way too complicated. Now we've got Superman on on Superman of eighteen different Earths. We have to explain which one came from which one. We feel as though as as, as editors and as writers, we would like to have a more cohesive universe so that's what we did with this one it feels like we really 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 want to have the young fantastic four because that's more marketable we really 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 want to have a, 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 a have miles morales as the new spider-man and we really 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 want to be able to do x-men comics without ever having to say the word x-men because that mm-hmm. way we can promote our movies better <laughs> well really i think it's just a lot of effort to bring wolverine back to life 
Because there's no way they're coming out of this with a dead Wolverine. I heard somebody who said um, this is a, this is going to be like a hundred comic books in order to import Miles Morales into the mainstream Marvel yeah. universe. In the end, it's like, oh, well, all that's changed is that Miles is here and maybe a couple other little changes. And I guess we're done. Uh, meanwhile, I have to say today, the editor uh, in chief of, of DC Comics in their announcement said in this new era of storytelling. OK, it's you read the press release. I guess it's a new era story will trump continuity as we continue to empower creators to tell the best stories in the industry. I found this kind of a fascinating statement, especially from DC, which all of their stories have been about continuity. I do not love it. Story will trump continuity. What what is happening I found that way more interesting than any of Marvel's announcements. I'm, I'm more excited really? about DC this year oh, yeah. than Marvel. Because, because again, not, not to repeat what we were open saying, with Marvel, I feel like now I'm going to have to buy $100 for the comics to figure out a new status quo that's been done just so that the editors can, the, or Disney can bibbity bobbity boo themselves into a much more marketable universe. The, what I got from the DC announcement was that we're going to have, we're going to do a Batmite book. We're going to do a Black <laughs> Canary book. And we're going to have, we're, we're going to have individual books that you're going to just want to see. You don't even, need to care about what it, whatever's happening elsewhere in dc this is a good place to jump on that's or i might be wrong but that's the impression that i got from dc so the thing that keeps banging around my head because we're talking about continuity is how many of you guys are familiar with arthurian legend uh, sure i am you I all are yeah and so i've seen f- camelot i've heard of king arthur <laughs> and spam a lot so uh-huh. you guys so you know Ar- Ar- arthur's been around for forever right there's logaman's brute there's the, the margaret there's the, Mar- the marie's lay there's uh, more to arthur um but the, the point is, is there are all these different interpretations of Arthur that go on, and there's endless iterations. For example, in the earliest historic Arthurian legends, it's there's no Lancelot. It's that Guinevere runs off with Mordred. And then when Lancelot gets introduced in the Mort to Arthur, he, all, you know, the dynamics of the story change. The point is, is the elements are all there, and it's just good storytelling every time, right up through TH1's once The Once and Future King. And then when the definitive 21st century Arthur comes out, it'll be done differently again. And I was thinking about this in context with comics, and I thought, I think the reason we all keep coming back is because continuity matters less than the elements of the story. And as long as you're telling me a good Black Canary story, or you're telling me a good Batman story, or a good Green Arrow story, or as long as you're telling me a really great Runaway story... I'm not really going to be like, ooh, I happened to get the joke on panel 18 because I, too, bought all eight issues of the Watcher crossover series last year. Um, That's not the important thing about continuity, though. Continuity is cool and helps the storytelling because it's nice to have a character with a history that if I read a Fantastic... I don't actually read a Fantastic Four right now, but if I did, (laughs) the fact that the characters have this, what, 50-year history of things that have happened to them not only informs the way they act, but it informs my knowledge of them. It's not just, let's tell a story as though these characters were born out of Zeus's forehead today. Yeah, mm. I, it's, it's, I mean, this is the line, I mean, this is the line they all walk. Marvel used to not worry about this continuity quite so much, and its events weren't about it, and DC's were. And now with DC making this statement, it seems like they're trying to go go the other direction and empower their creators, which I think is really smart from a business standpoint, because I think that um, you know getting really good writers and artists, especially the writers, to work on Marvel and DC's characters, you want to give them reasons to tell interesting stories and get them ex- excited about it and 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 while while Marvel with the success of their movies has become more enslaved I think into this idea of having mm-hmm. everything connect together and 
And so I think that's to the detriment so, of the storytelling, to be honest. Well, it's, I, I, I agree. It, it's, I think it's a continuum because I agree with Monty. There is richness in it's the richness of a TV series. It's, it's the richness of being able to say, remember what happened. You've been with these people for 10 years. Remember what happened 10 years ago. There is, there is, there's power in that. There's some shorthand in that. I can appreciate that, but you, you end up with so much of that that you're precluding yourself from telling other stories. And, and if you tie it into every other comic that you've published over the last 20 years, you are, you have made it impossible to do anything because continuity is in the way. So, I mean, that, that was one of the reasons why I was a fan of the Ultimate Universe is it, it stripped the characters back to their core without having to actually conform to any history. Ironically enough, of course, over 15 years, you're going to get history. That happened to the <laughs> Ultimate Universe too. So I, I, I see both sides here. It's it, like I understand the value of continuity within reason, but I also, you know, I also roll my eyes at the fact that, that you know, this eternal present that they talk about where where, you know, everybody has always been the age they are today in the present day. But, you know, but and continuity where Spider-Man was a teen, was a you know teenager or a college student in the mid 70s is still real. But they not. have that sliding time scale now yeah, where everything right. happened in the last 20 years or so. I, I don't think people are demanding that. But I mean, I think the, the Ultimate Universe is really an excellent example of the sort of continuity that's actually valuable, where uh, Ultimate Spider-Man is probably the only book of that entire experiment that had any value in the long run. I agree. Uh, mm-hmm. I look at uh, Fantastic Four, where they took the core concept, where four <laughs> people with a four people with a, a a web of preceding relationships suffer an accident together, and they they go through the uh, the, the effects of d- d- dealing with what they are after this accident. If you back that up with all of the – not the details of the stories that have been happening for 50 years, but the sum total of what these characters are after 50 characters, 50 years, you have something really, really valuable. If you then decide that, well, how about we suddenly decide that uh, Reed Richards goes nuts and now he's a megalomaniacal uh, super, super villain. I enjoyed and, and that. Temporarily. Oh, that was uh, – I, mean, I that's, enjoyed it, that. But, yeah. it, wasn't, yeah. but, but it wasn't Fantastic Four. It's like, it's like you can't take the label off a can of Coke and put it on whatever you want and call it Coke. You may as well create something brand new. So this is actually a debate that we have over on the Flash Flashcast almost weekly. Um, <laughs> Cross promotion. The t- it is. Check yes. out the nice. TV podcast where Lisa and Tony and, and <laughs> Moe. So and Moe's. Uh, we, 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 we break down. Talk each- about the Flash. See, this is like the continuity. <laughs> it's incomparable continuity here. Yeah, the debate that we have on the Flash Flashcast every week because um, Sindelar is really good about picking up stuff from the comics. He's, he's very Flash fluent. <laughs> And the debate we have is, do you really want to know that much about continuity and what these characters have done? Or do you want to go in and just see where the story takes you? And then once it's done, appreciate how they pulled in continuity or not. In other words, is it better to go in flying blind or is it better to go in with the, the context and the richness that you guys are talking about? Well, the trick with the, what, the, what the WB shows are doing is they are t- using they are mining rich source material to tell whatever stories they want, however they want them. And that's very much like the ultimate Spider-Man at least storyline. Well, Arrow is genius about this because they liberally lifted from both um, the year one miniseries that was, I think, just five or six issues and then Mike Grell's runs. And um, they've done it so well that even, you know, and I've read them, I've read all those runs and even when I'm watching the series, I almost can't tell when they've lifted something until after it's done and I'm like, oh yeah. And to me, that that is really great storytelling because it gets back to the elements 
it still makes me feel like continuity is almost a reward for paying attention as opposed to this relationship you've built up with a character for knowing them for so many years. But I can see the point that you guys have regarding how having however many years worth of uh, knowledge of this character may enhance or add weight to some of the developments that happen in a story. Maybe continuity is the wrong word. Maybe the, the maybe a better word would be equity. Where mm-hmm. I, I really yeah. feel as though certain books they build up equity as they go along. Like you want to create a Sherlock Holmes story, one way to do it is the way that the BBC uh, did a Sherlock recently with Benedict Cumberbatch, where you do something very very conservative, very recognizable as Sherlock Holmes, uh, and that all you did was let's set it in, in modern day London and let's make Watson uh, a veteran of even more of a more modern Afghan war. Uh, than an older one. Another way of doing it is, well, what if we make him an American doctor in New Jersey uh, and he's a, and he solves mysteries that are medical in nature? That's also Sherlock Holmes. And you're, you're building upon the equity of the character. However, once you start to say, well, what if he's a, he's actually a serial killer and he uses expertise in serial killing to make him a better, better detective? You've created something wonderful, but it's not Sherlock Holmes. And that's the, when when we do reboots like this and when you decide, well, what if we suddenly make, again, Reed Richards a total jerk and he's arrogant and he just wants – he doesn't care how many that's lives That's continuity. Well, Reed can be an arrogant jerk, but he's not a monster, that's, right? That's when, that's when you're saying that – that's when you're saying you may as well not even call it the, the – you're misrepresenting the product, I think. Let me tell you about our next sponsor. It's MailRoute. I've told you about them before. Imagine a world without spam or viruses or bounced email. Imagine opening your email and seeing only the legitimate mail that you want and need to receive. Imagine no more, friend. This is the world that I have been living in for the last two years. And it's because MailRoute is in the cloud working for me. In the cloud means... I didn't install any hardware. I don't maintain any software. MailRoute receives my mail. It sorts it. It uses its intelligence to determine what is valid and what is invalid mail. And then only the valid mail gets passed on to my mail server and to my inbox. So it's easy to set up. It's reliable. I have never had a problem with MailRoute. And it's not just me. Large universities and corporations trust MailRoute to filter their mail. As a desktop user, you'll find MailRoute's user interface is simple and effective. I love getting my little uh, sample of what has been filtered out by MailRoute. I can look at it. I can laugh at all the spam that I'm not getting. And if I do see something, which very rarely happens, that I actually want to receive, I click one button, boom, it's in my inbox. And that person is whitelisted. So I'm going to be able to get their mail from that time forward. If you're an email administrator or an IT professional, They've got tools with you in mind. There's an API for easy account management. MailRoute supports LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, mail bagging, outbound relay, everything you'd want from the people handling your mail. So go today and start a risk-free trial, no credit card necessary. Sign up, change your MX records to go through MailRoute, and your mailbox and hardware will be completely protected. It's simple and effective. There's no good reason not to try it. All listeners to The Incomparable receive 10% off for the lifetime of your account. Go to MailRoute.com net slash snell now that's mailroute.net slash snell and thank you to mailroute for filtering my mail and sponsoring the incomparable by the way you should tr- you should check out watson and holmes which is a uh, a uh an oh they, the code word is it's an urban sherlock holmes but it, what it is 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 holmes and watson are black in new york city in <laughs> yeah, harlem he always I urban? He lives in London. yeah i know yeah. exactly well this is how they market it right but it's actually it's actually a really cool comic Really cool comic where where the where Watson is the main character and they are uh, they are uh, in Harlem 
uh, solving crimes. And, and Watson is a, a, an Air Force uh, yeah. veteran who's returned mm-hmm. to the inner city. And it's actually kind of great. But there, Andy, you're right. The, the, Sherlock Holmes isn't a serial killer, right? It is Holmes and Watson with a little spin on it. And you, I think equity is a really nice way. I mean, I, I love Ultimate Spider-Man because it is retelling the the uh, Spider-Man story. And it, it's got, it is a Spider-Man story, but it is not burdened with uh, having to set, uh, take, take for granted all of these. Uh, all of these uh, basic assumptions of where we are in continuity time, um, but it just goes back to the beginning and says, "Look, let's just tell this story again and let's start fresh." And, and let's do the Clone Saga right this time. And yeah, well, <laughs> they, which they kind of didn't, but it was better. It's worth a try. Time. There's always yeah. the heartbreak when somebody takes one of your favorite favorite characters or favorite dynamics and turns it on its head. Because I can remember how betrayed I felt when. Uh, Gail Simone left Birds of Prey and then the next oh. writer took over. I can't remember his name, but Simone had worked very hard over this course of the run to build up these plausible, respectful, wholly believable relationships among all of the different, like the main birds roster and then all the auxiliary people and the other people who were in their lives. And like that was squandered within two issues. And it was back to, oh, these chicks, they fight crimes and one of them sure loves the oh. green arrow. And it was just hard. It was infuriating. Like yeah. I stopped oh. buying those books don't for, worry. for a couple she's, years. She's an ass kicker. So oh. she's a powerful, no, she's not. Oh yeah. Than... Powerful female character because like she can wear a bustier and fishnets and hurt you and it was just and so that's that's the flip side to to, i guess the equity or the the personal investment that the personal relationship you begin to build up is i think sometimes it's easy to forget what a strong role the writer has in that too and when the writer leaves unless another writer with similar sensibility or or a writer who says i i understand what these core sensibilities are and i'm going to apply them to the character unless that's there you you do run the risk of uh torpedoing years of work, frankly, or or turning off a segment of your audience. I just read The Secret Origin of Wonder Woman, which is mostly about William Moulton Marston, the creator <laughs> yes. of Wonder Woman. Didn't we talk about that? In, we, uh, I, we mentioned it, I think, briefly. briefly. But yeah, th- yeah. there's a moment in that that exactly illustrates what you're talking about, where Wonder Woman has become a huge property for DC. She's third to Superman and Batman. So they decide to add her to the Justice Society uh, group comic book. But now she's going to be written by Gardner Fox instead of William Moulton Marston. And in the first issue, she gets added to the Justice Society as the secretary. (laughs) And then in every issue after that, she says, I sure wish I could go with you, boys, but I have to stay here. And then there's one issue where she does get to do something because all the male superheroes have been kidnapped or something. So she (laughs) and all the girlfriends have to go rescue them. This reminds me of this is the thing I'm, I am both enjoying and infuriated by with the the, the current Peggy Carter uh, miniseries on TV is watching how Peggy is reduced to taking lunch orders and and um, I realize that's part of the whole point to the series is to sh- is to it, show it that, is a commentary on that. Yes, right? I realize the whole point of the series is a commentary. That doesn't mean I have to watch and go. Oh, it's a commentary. Clearly, yeah. things are terrible. Like you know, it's it's at a very visceral level. You're like. <gasps> Oh God! People thought that was okay. <laughs> so oh, just keep gosh. reminding yourself she's going to found Shield eventually. Yeah, none of yeah. these jerks is. Yeah, that guy from One Tree Hill can just go right back there. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> boo hiss. I, so what? I mean, I, I I would imagine that these are conversations. Actually, it was a funny thing. I I read. Uh, this is totally not 
related, but I'm going to mention it where I saw a video of an interview with JJ Abrams at a, like on a red carpet somewhere. And they were asking about the, the lights lightsaber with the, from the trailer that's got the little guards coming out of it. And his comment was, um, somebody was like, well, you know, the fans talked about this a lot and he just laughed. He said, do you, do you not think that we had huge arguments about this on the inside? Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, and I, I, I thought that was really funny. And I wanted to bring that up in the comic book context and ask you, I'm sure they've had these conversations at all levels of Marvel and DC, especially, but I wanted to ask you three, um, what is the, um, how do you solve the problem of wanting the richness of uh, characters that we're familiar with while not totally stifling storytelling by tying everything together with continuity that's basically walling off whole sections of story possibilities because somebody already told a story like that 25 years ago that said it was A and you want it to be B and it's too bad. How do you how do you take the richness and yet still have things that are good stories that people want to read? I think that selective amnesia really yeah. <laughs> is the secret to making all this work it's it's such a it's such a perfect filter too because we can we we've i, I don't want to awaken a, a, a memory that everybody i'm sure has been burying but <laughs> <laughs> there there was a time when no jay michael Straczynski was writing oh, was writing spider-man and he said well I'll tell you what uh he turns into a giant spider and then he dies and then a new peter parker like kind of like <laughs> uh, is in a yes. cocoon it's like okay <laughs> I, I just i just love that there's no need to retcon that there's no need to explain like how oh that was actually a clone or that was just a virtual reality we all just editors included let's just all agree that we just never speak of that again whereas other things that might have happened around the same time they are so potent and so good like when dr octopus inhabits his body for for a good year or two that we're going to we're going to accept that as something that's true i think that really you don't uh, I, the secret is just repeat to yourself it's just a comic yeah. i should really just relax and i, I don't think it's necessary <laughs> to do these big reboots or these big explanations i say you just keep the good stuff uh, like it and he said there was something cool remember that uh, to use Star Trek as an example, apparently in the Star Trek animated series, which is sort of canon, there's an episode that ends with a 200-foot-tall vegetable clone of Spock just left out on a planet somewhere. So that's there for all the future movies and series? No, who cares? That was dumb. We forgot about it. That's true. You know, uh, Peter and Mary Jane had a baby that was taken away, and they thought that the, that the baby died, and it was taken away by Norman Osborn to Europe, where it would be... It, educated in evil European schools or something like that. And then li literally, Hogwarts. which actually is that baby is actually the premise of the spider girl comic where she didn't get taken away. Um, but I, I, I remember reading those comics and then looking up on Wikipedia several years later, like whatever, what'd they ever do with that story? And you know what the answer is? L we don't speak of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, let's just, no, yeah. that didn't, yeah. whatever. It didn't it's happen. Let's not worry about it. It's like Richie's brother on Happy Days. Yeah. Just because I like continuity and I like that Superman has, whatever, 80 years of history if they didn't have those reboots. Yeah. It doesn't matter if he had super puzzle-solving ability for two issues in the 1950s. You can ignore that. Nobody really minds. Except for the puzzle makers of America. They're like, why? Dear Superman offices, I this I, panel two on page eight of Action Comics number 438 – Clark Kent scratches his head and says, I've never been good at puzzles, but I point you. Yeah. Oh, no, and that's having totally. Said that, uh, I like big, I like DC's occasional big crisis or zero hour, shake it all up and see what happens. I don't 
see that as a negative. I think those are a fun diversion. As long as I'm not paying for them week by week, because uh, this again comes down. I, I'm going to come back to the Arthurian thing, because I think one of the reasons the Arthurian legend has um, managed to maintain across British literary history for hundreds of years is because it, it's got the fundamentals of, of, of a story in there. Arthur is always somebody who is the literal embodiment of the land. Guinevere is somebody who is the embodiment of both authority and treachery. Mordred is always the embodiment of weakness. Later on, you have Gawain, Gallant. Um, but the point is, is all these elements are the same, and they can be creatively mixed and matched and spun off into... Uh, side stories and um you know there's i forget which anthology it was that had all the different stories of all the different knights of the round table and i think when comics is firing on all cylinders it's basically doing that where the writers all have an idea in their head of this is this is this character's personality profile this is what they do in any given situation let's throw them into a situation where they adopt a dragon or let's throw them into a situation where they become a valkyrie or let's throw them into a situation where they become a vampire and then adopt a baby <laughs> let's throw them into a situation where he's not a vampire but instead a weirdo who's really rich and lives in seattle exactly oh god <laughs> <laughs> well that's not good storytelling i mean even if it was Fair. um even if it was uh you probably could make it work if it was if it were a gifted writer, a gifted storyteller. But you know, the the point is is that um, the good stuff in a story is almost always immutable, and it can be recognized from iteration to iteration. Um, or failing that, the second approach I would suggest is the uh, John Cleese approach, where you had basically the same cast make both a fish called Wanda and um, fierce creatures, fierce creatures, <laughs> and, a lemur uh, movie, yeah, a movie that is so good you don't remember its no. name the movie about lemurs there are parts of that movie that i will defend to the death parts <laughs> but I, i've always liked the idea of, of one of the things I, I love about sketch comedy is how um performers can manage to be both simultaneously versatile and incredibly reliable where when the minute you see them come on screen part of you subconsciously subconsciously goes oh and now we're going to see this element enter the story or oh now we're going to see this element enter the situation the problem is you can't really decide what are the essential elements of characters before they've been around for hundreds of years. You can't. Like, well, like Wonder Woman. Is it essential that she fought Nazis? I think yes. Mm. The writers think no. Is it okay that she stopped being from Paradise Island and now is from the Miscura? The Miscura, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's um, a less silly name. It's pronounced Paradise Island. I don't <laughs> quite agree with that just because... Um, but... And here, here, here! I'm going to contradict my own argument immediately after I make it. When I was reading Stormwatch, and that's being um, a professional, Lisa. <laughs> yeah, when I was being both, when I was reading Stormwatch and The Authority, they were the, the writers were Warren Ellis, especially, was basically inventing a whole new um, ensemble of, of superheroes, and he does a really good job of characterizing them in just a few issues. And there isn't a whole lot of backstory there, but that doesn't make the stories any less compelling or less rewarding to read. Um, at the same time. I could also argue that the reason that those books were so successful is because he was subconsciously drawing upon or perhaps deliberately drawing upon archetypes that had been established by, you know, other writers and other titles for, for 50, 60, 70 years. But I think you can, you know, Runaways, I think, works out really well as a story. Yeah, but that's new. That's new characters, right? Yeah, that's exactly. new characters. That's, yeah. That, I mean, that, and that's exactly what I, I would like to see DC and Marvel do. I mean, I'd like to see them treat a lot of their guys like new characters. I think they'd, they'd, they'd you know. Well, I mean, it's uh, I mean, one, one solution is is that the rolling amnesia like i said but another one is to simply say just bite the bullet and say that fantastic the reed richards and sue richards are now in their 60s 
and along the, and Peter Parker is now in his fifties, and you have to you you now have the the senior class, but they are doing things that they wouldn't be doing if when they were like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds. But that's a, that's a great because you have been cultivating new generations of characters to sort of take their places. So it's it's good to have. Uh, there's a game back to the Fantastic Four. I mean, there's a problem now with Johnny Storm because he's just locked into. He's got to be 21 years old. He's got to be completely irresponsible. He's a hothead. Turn. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're as, exactly. Whereas you have these other characters, like even uh, I can I can I can name a whole, whole whole bunch of like minor characters that have because they they're not licensed. They're not hot licensed. Uh, characters you can have them be you can track them as in the mid 70s she was like part of the uh, miss marvel we used to be part of like the the hey let's have some some women superheroes now you can basically develop them so that little by little they're part of the senior class now they're not these characters that don't know what they're doing and they're doing the best they can you know she hulk is now leaders is, is now a leader of a group and has an area of responsibility not because she's a new character that's been written as this formidable lawyer but because you can actually acknowledge that well she's been at this hero game for about 10 or 15 years now she is a graduate of the been there done that class uh and now these are things you can only do if you allow the characters to at least gain experience points i think that's something that you kind of lose when you basically make sure that they're just on that that standing desk and that they can move a lot, but they can never really move forward. That's one of the saddest things I've ever heard, a standing desk where you can move a lot and never move forward. The treadmill desk is the worst one because that one you literally walk 10 miles and never leave your desk. <laughs> I'm, I'm exhausted and I'm, I'm exhausted and I'm sticky, but I'm still late on my deadlines. I don't know how that happened. Let me tell you about another sponsor. It's Loot Crate. Loot Crate is a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items and pop culture gear. For less than $20 a month, you get six to eight items. It includes licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, and much more. Now, here's how Loot Crate works. Until the 19th of the month at 9 p.m. Pacific time, you can get that month's Loot Crate. You subscribe, and you will get that month's Loot Crate. Once it is 9 o'clock on the 19th, you are going to miss out until the next month. So hurry, run, don't walk to lootcrate.com slash Snell. That's my name. And enter code Snell to save $3 on any new subscription to Loot Crate. Now the February crate, if you get in by February 19th, it's going to be a lot of fun for people who like to play games, break out the dice, the cards, the controllers, strategize. February's crate, it's all about the fun and fantastic games we love to play. Tabletop, video, board, card, role-playing games, and much more. Loot Crate has put together something that celebrates the boundless levels of adventure and creativity and excitement that great gaming can bring. What's in this crate? Uh, an exclusive Loot Crate edition of a popular tabletop title, a vinyl collectible figure, a best-selling title loved by gamer geeks worldwide, and much more. Loot Crate is like a friend who knows exactly what you love and surprises you with an awesome present every month. They ship to nine countries, and there's much more information about it on their site. So go to LootCrate.com slash Snell and enter code Snell to save $3 on any new subscription. And thank you to Loot Crate for sponsoring The Incomparable. I don't know. Um... Uh, this is a really interesting conversation because in the end uh, it comes back to telling good stories. And I know I, I've had conversations, I think with all of you about this in the past, it, it, one of the frustrating things about the comic book, uh, the comics medium in general, and, and there are graphic novels and there are independent comics that do, that tell fixed uh, stories. But one of the, the appeals of the broad 
uh, you know, the Marvel and DC intellectual property kind of stories and characters is they are the ones that we grew up with. They're the ones that um, a whole new generation is growing up with. They are they are like mythological figures. Like Lisa said, they're like Arthurian legends and things like that. Um one of the challenges with this medium is finding good stories. When we talk about doing comic book club episodes of The Incomparable, what you don't want to do is say, well, you need 40 years of history and then read these, you know, 20 tie-in comics and there's a story in there. Uh, what you want to do is be able to throw a trade or two at somebody and say, "Here's a, it's like reading a novel. Read these and we'll talk about it. And that is, that is the challenge of the business of comic book continuity, I think, is that it fights against that. And although the continuity is rich, I also miss not having the ability to say, like I have the, um, I've mentioned this before on the show, I have the hardcover of Greg Pak's Planet Hulk. And I'm not a Hulk fan at all, actually, but that's a great story and it's self-contained and you don't really need to know anything more about other than like background radiation, of, which would be gamma radiation of the Hulk story to get this story and and yeah it's on a different planet and it doesn't have most of his his regular cast on it but it's a nice story to have and and I think that's the downside of the continuity stuff is that oftentimes you don't have the ability to point at a story and say that's a story instead it's like a soap opera with a bunch of different parts and it's much harder soap opera is uh, is a valid storytelling approach too I guess I'm saying I'm a little disappointed that there's so much soap opera and not enough sort of novels in the comics area in the in in the marvel and dc comics areas but most of these big ridiculous crossover things you can just read the trade like you can read crisis on infinite earths and just the trade go all right i pretty much got that i may not have recognized i I don't agree i i think a lot of those are, are events that really require you to know about everything that's around them um, because it's 80 different characters and I might know who, you know, Spider-Man is or I might know who Superman is. But I, I you know, when when you're putting pouring everybody in from the universe, then it's like, I don't even know who these people but, are. Uh, well, particularly with Crisis on Infinite Earths, there's so many people, they don't matter. All you have to do, all you have to know is on this page, four universes died. Mm-hmm. You might not have recognized all 20 people in each panel because the artist is a show off. But you get the idea, somebody's destroying universes. This, When you see a Superman and a Superman with gray hair glaring at each other, mm. you get the idea. I, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, one of the... I would contra- contrast that with the, what Jonathan Hickman's been doing in Avengers and New Avengers, which is about universes annihilating themselves, or at least Earths in parallel universes annihilating one another. Um, and this is a difference between comics from the eighties and comics of today (laughs) there, there's a lot more, um, angst about, you know, it's them or us. And are we right? Do we have the responsibility and arguing (laughs) and, and maybe we'll go to that earth and see if we can get some, find some cool people and bring them back to our earth. And there's, there's more of that stuff in there in the end. Yeah, it is sort of like, look, you don't need to know who those people are. In fact, you've never seen them before. Suffice it to say that they're cool and now their universe is blown up. They did a story like that in uh, Stormwatch, where where it was basically one one group of people got to check out and see what was happening on an alternate planet, and all they could base all they could basically do were it was like they were watching a really bad TV show, and a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, issue because I think it was just a one or two issue thing. A lot of them that was 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 our, our heroes basically biting their nails all. This is not going to work. Oh my god. 
gosh, what can we do? And the answer was, oh, we can't do a thing. <laughs> we can just we can just accept the fact that sometimes we can't even save our own universe, and we certainly can't save anyone else's. And um, I liked that. I liked the idea that that there was that that there was this amplified sense of helplessness. <laughs> Well, I have a theory, something I really want Marvel to do, because I think their core problem is not continuity, and it's not too many crossovers. Their core problem is that they have too many people in New York City, and they've always had this problem. Real people or characters? Characters. That's where Spider-Man lives. That's where Doctor Strange lives. That's where the Avengers live, and that's where the Fantastic Four live. Like, all of their—and the X-Men are just outside New York City. So— because they were creating characters that lived in the real world, and that's where Stan Lee and Jack Kirby lived, everybody's in New York City. And I think what they really need to do is spread people out a bit. So tying that into the way movie rights are spread around, I think we're going to come out of Secret Wars with three or four separate universes. Universe 1 will have Spider-Man and the X-Men in it, and we'll call that Universe Sony. Mm-hmm. Universe 2 we'll call Universe MCU and that'll have everybody that's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and then the other universe will be wherever the other stuff is. Fox. Fox Universe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the mutant universe. Because mm-hmm. let's and face Fantastic it, Four. Yeah. Because it would be pretty convenient for the mutants just to live somewhere else <laughs> because there's way too many of them. And also, if they spread out so they're separated by uh, who owns the movie rights, I think that'll let Marvel do really cruel things to Sony and start saying, because they've already threatened to stop having a Fantastic Four comic book. <laughs> that's happening. Yeah. So that's my theory. Marvel ends up in several different universes, conveniently segre- segregated by movie rights. That's, that's yeah. diabolical, Monty. <sighs> yeah. And yet uncannily lucrative. I just want them to work in the line. I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. (laughs) Yeah. I just, yeah, once Elliot Kalin is given the ability to write a TV or movie uh, for uh, Marvel, just watch out. They're really opening up the floodgates on allowing comic books to get goofy again. Mm. Yeah, which is great. The idea of there being a Batmite comic or Section 8, which is going to have the dog welder whose power is that he can weld dogs to things. But that's great. That's wonderful. <laughs> I'm so I, excited about I that. I believe there's one of the zones in the battle world in Secret Wars is, is going to be Howard the Duck related. And in Spider-Verse, very serious Marvel event, one of the probably top 10 spiders in that event is uh, Peter Porker, the spectacular yes. Spider-Ham. Oh. So oh there God, is silliness. Awesome. Yeah. In the <laughs> of silliness. I, 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 respect, I respect Jonathan Hickman. I know that he's, he wouldn't be so popular if he didn't have a huge audience. But I think the problem with every Hickman book I've read is that he's forgotten that comic books are supposed to have some element of fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's I not all about, not, hello, yeah. I'm your son from an alternate reality future in which everything is dead and you're responsible for it. And you're being chased by him. Oh, for God's sakes. Flying bathtub. <laughs> flying yeah. to a universe in which everyone is, looks like you know asparagus and you have to solve their problem and have them over for dinner that's what i that's a, write one story like that please give me a breather well the good news is there are usually good stories to be found and that have nothing to do with events and then there are also events so there's something for everyone and nothing for someone i think is how that works uh but it's uh I, i'll tell you one one last thing before we go um 
as somebody who liked the Ultimate Universe and especially Ultimate Spider-Man and who really enjoys the Miles Morales thing, that's my only dog in this whole hunt is that I am hoping that in the end uh, that character sticks around in some form that isn't too distorted from who he is because it's a lot of fun having a, you know, 16-year-old kid uh, being Spider-Man and having to learn the ropes. And hopefully he will... Uh, not be sunsetted by Marvel because there are good stories to be told with him. And I was quite skeptical when they introduced him and he's actually turned out to be great. But, you know, it'd be a shame if, you know, again, corporate policy prevented future stories to be told with that character. But, you know, (laughs) these are all pieces of intellectual property and we can never forget that. Can I mention one uh, Marvel announcement that happened today that I'm actually really, really excited about? Yeah, go for it. Sana Amanat is an editor at Marvel. She's one of the people that created Kamala Khan, the current Ms. Marvel. She is being promoted to director of content and character development. Hmm. And I think that's a great move because she's great. Is that a new position? It's not clear. I've never heard of anyone else with that position, but that might have. That's interesting because that, Character development I find fascinating because one of the problems that the big uh, the big two have had is nobody wants to create new characters that's their intellectual property because they'd rather go create great characters on their own that they own and so they can be like Brian Michael Bendis and sell powers to TV and make a lot of money or be like Robert Kirkman and sell The Walking Dead to TV and make a lot of money um, and uh, or you know and you can, the names go on and on so character development I find that fascinating because I think that is one of and we talked about this on the show before uh, I think that's one of the problems that Marvel and DC have had is they've been stifled the last 10 or 20 years by you know they, there's not a lot of new stuff coming from them they are doing a lot of retreading because who would create new stuff for them but one of the really cool new things they do have is Kamala Khan yes so the fact that one of that character's creators is in this position, I think. That's encouraging. Shows a good commitment. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I I do find it interesting that Marvel, although it is both interesting and and sets off my cynic, my cynic alert, that... (laughs) Cynic um, sense. Well, yes, because, well, first you had the X-Men, the all-lady the all, the all X-Men team that launched, and uh, the book, frankly, could be better than it is, but I do find it fascinating that they've they've done this, this. and now they're doing this with, with the Avengers as well, and part of me is thinking, okay, this is great, because on the one hand, you get a lot of characters, and you can see them interact with each other as colleagues and equals, and not just as the token woman on some other team, and... I like that because, you know, even in older lineups, if it was the X-Men, it was usually, oh, it's, it's, um, Bobby and it's, um, Hank and it's, and it's, oh God, Scott. And then there's Jean and she's the girl of the group. And then instead you have some, you, when you have an X-Men team, that's technically all X-Women. It's, there's none of that. And the girl, they're all the girl. So this way they're all just people. Hooray. Yay. And hopefully with the Avengers is the same thing where they're all just people. Hooray. Yay. Um, but part of me wonders if this is, a little bit of political theater. So, uh, so they're saying, well, we're, we're committed to women in comics. We're committed to diversity and, you know, and also we're making a Miss Marvel movie eventually. Um, pay no attention to the crazy ratio. You know, there's part of me that wonders if, if this is, well, if we give the ladies their own book and we give them this, this sort of character development and this opportunity to do rich continuity, we don't have to worry about it across all books and we can tell women that we're, we're building products for them. Um, I feel like sometimes they, they've done better. They've done so much better than they were doing in the 90s and even in the early 80s, but I still feel like sometimes 
there is a mindset in corporate comics that women are kind of another species. And the question is, how do you get women to read comics and how do you write women in comics as opposed to, oh, they're human beings and they like to buy things and they have wildly different tastes. Like women are not a monolithic, a monolithic consumer entity and they're not a monolithic uh, storytelling element either. That's why DC's announcement today was partly so interesting because they, they just they just blasted here is a list of all the books we're doing and all the talent that we've got working on them and Greg Pog, I first found out about this announcement because Greg Pog was saying look at how many Asian Americans or, or uh, the Asian Americans are working on uh, on key titles and then you look oh well, look at all the look at all the women that are working on key titles and they're not necessarily here's the here's our women's line it's just that we just happen to have hired a lot of people that are not white dudes <laughs> to, to to do our comics so it's uh, the it's getting the, uh, better and yeah. there was an interview with Kelly Sue DeConnick recently where she said I used to know every other woman who was working on my level <laughs> on comics and I don't anymore and I think that's fantastic you know so I want to emphasize it is getting better and the fact that I can rattle off three or three or four what I would consider a level writers who are at the same levels as Bendis and Byrne and the rest off the top of my head I think I could have maybe named one about 10 to 15 years ago so, but 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 at the same time, there's a little bit of theater going on. I think with the all lady teams, you know, I'm a yeah. little suspicious of why they're making such a big deal about rolling them out. And does this really? And does this really count? What? Be- yes, it counts. Come on. <laughs> what is that? You're acting like this didn't even happen. Outraged Monty's the best Monty. <laughs> Maybe they're pandering to women a little, but that at least they're admitting they exist. Well, this this is the thing that came up when we did that episode about the about the comic book recasting a few months ago, and I, I I've sort of settled on the idea that uh, it can be both. It can be both a marketing ploy and actually have not only um, some creative and artistic merit, but also it does serve as a signal to women that there there's some attention being paid to them and that and that girls can read comics and see women in all these different positions that maybe weren't there before but so it's like you know it can be both i don't think that they use it as marketing but what what, what i was what, when i when i say that maybe it doesn't count so much is that i was so i was super excited about it because i thought that oh wow just the idea of just not a full not a, a lady avengers team but it's a full avengers team that happens to be like all women and we're going to be here's going to be a showcase for f- uh, female characters that we've got and then i saw that, that's such a great idea and then i saw oh wait someone pointed out that oh it's a secret wars title okay so they're doing this confident knowing that at some point Secret Wars will be over with and they don't have to continue with this book anymore. Yeah, well, no comic is forever. Har- Har- Harley Quinn was like, no one would think that that was going to be a huge hit. And now it's like, not only is, not only is it a huge hit it's going on for a second year, but it's getting its own spinoff. Yeah, I think what I'd say is if A-Force does well, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. No matter what is happening in the Secret Wars, if A-Force does well, it's not going to go anywhere. I'd like to direct you to the new director of content and character development, Sana Amina, <laughs> a woman of South Asian descent. That really does make me feel happy about Kamala Khan because the, the, I think that one of the things that a lot of people, myself included, are really worried about whenever they hear about these reboots is that I really I really like this book, like Ms. Marvel. I really like this book, and I don't want this book to be rebooted. I don't want this re- – I don't want her to be – uh, now there's going to be a new reality in which you know now she's 28 years old and she's she's a member of the Avengers. I really want her to be the, the self the, the self declared superhero of a little of a little town in New Jersey. 
And that's and that's where I want this book to be. It's 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 like I don't want you to reboot something I like. It's it's like you go to the doctor and you're you free a checkup and you're feeling great. That's the biggest dread you ever have because there, you know that when you you know that after a three hour examination, the doctor's not going to say good news. It turns out that you have a superpower. You can you can now like cook meat by staring at it with your eyes. The only possible news I'll come with is oh, turns out that we found something and we're going to send you in for an MRI. <laughs> But we're not going to tell you what to worry about. It's like, oh, just give me the results of this horrible test, please. Wow. I, I, I think I lost the story about that. I was m- focused on meat cooking vision, which I think is <laughs> Superman's new power. Um, <laughs> that makes him popular at parties, too. You don't have to fire up the grill anymore. That's one of his old powers, actually. <laughs> well, technically. Well, this is very specific to, to meat. Oh, it's okay. Like, it's a, not heat vision related. This is a more of a microwave power. He can't uh, cook potatoes, just meat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. He, has to, he has to use and the old and nothing school. nothing metal will throw off sparks. Uh, yeah, no, no popcorn. It's true. He always burns it. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, just to, to wrap this up, I, <laughs> I, I wanted to uh, say the, uh, you know, all of these things are, it's art and commerce together. And if, uh, if, if Ms. Marvel, I mean, even if it's so cynical as to say, well, we're going to do A-Force and it's all women, but we know that it's all part of the Secret Wars event and in six months we're going to kill it. If the reaction is good, um, they they will keep it around because it will be a way for them to sell a comic book that is successful. Um, I, I don't think it's quite as cynical as to say, well, we can say that we're making progress and then not, six months later we can just kill it. I so encourage I think- everybody to wait six months for it to actually get canceled before we declare it a cynical marketing ploy why I, I would have been more pleased with this if they had done this last year outside of an event then not using the excuse of we're doing this big thing and we're get, we can do we can launch all these titles that are related to this event as opposed to simply like ms marvel was not tied to, it was technically inspired by uh the, the inhumans saga or whatever they're doing whatever craziness they're doing over there but it wasn't <laughs> not the x-men <laughs> it was it was more it was more like we're gonna we, this is an opportunity to create new heroes and to create a new hero book what kind of heroes do we want to create as, as an ongoing thing, I, I'm not. I'm not being, I, I don't believe I'm being cynical about this. I'm, I'm simply saying that I've. I, I would feel more optimistic about if they if it were being launched as a regular series outside of an event, knowing how many times they launch things as part of events with no intention of ever following through on it. Big events well. are when new books get announced. DC announced a whole new line, and they, as far as I can tell, held on to them for a good long time until they established nobody was reading some of them and then they dropped some, which they do all the time anyway. They announced this as a new monthly series that's going to be part of the results of Secret Wars. That's exactly the same as saying we have our stupid one year later jump forward and here are our new 52 series. Big events are what launch new books. Sure. And it's gonna, it sounds like a great book and I'll, I will definitely be buying it. I'll enjoy it for however long we have it. Okay, good conversation, everybody. <laughs> Got to stop it somewhere. The referee has called the fight. Uh, standing eight counts, everybody in their corners. Fortunately, there are four of us in their four corners, so we'll be okay. Thank you for talking about many, many comic book-related things. I appreciate it. Lisa Schmeiser, thanks for being here. It was my pleasure. Monty Ashley, a pleasure, as always. Comics are fun. Yay! And Andy <laughs> Anatko, thank you. I'm spent. Throw in the towel, Lou. Throw it in. I can't fight no more. All right. Uh, And to everybody out there, thanks for listening to The Incomparable. This has been Jason Snell. We will see you next time.
about Superman's new power, (laughs) which is not to be less boring. Uh, He's had so many dumb powers in the past. The problem is it's, it's, Fundamentally, he should be he should be a really unnerving character because you're talking about a superpowered alien who has chosen to infiltrate society and 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 ostensibly act in our interests. And I'm just much more interested in the idea of an alien who's infiltrating society because, you know, I would like to conquer this planet or he infiltrates society, but he passes really poorly because he doesn't understand the innate communications body language that we all grew up internalizing or something like that. I want like to conquer that. this planet. That's why you like Invincible is because mm-hmm. that's exactly what Nolan is, is he's I Superman, do. but yeah. he's secretly part of an alien race who's going to take us over. And I'm trying to remember the name of the short story. It's in the John Varley superheroes collection. And it's a short story where basically they write it from the perspective of Superman, where he actually does have a really difficult time picking up on people's language simply because so much of human communication comes down to body language and um it's actually the 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 body language that we have actually goes all the way back to primates so there's some argument that it's entirely unconscious and we're processing it on a different level than we process spoken language but because his brain is wired so differently he misses out and he can barely keep up with conversations and um when a groupie comes back to his apartment to try to put the moves on him, he's like, I have no idea. I don't even know why you're here. I'm not attracted to you. We can never have a meal together because my metabolism can't handle any carbon-based food. <laughs> and just the idea that super, that a Superman-like character would be so fundamentally isolated, both socially and, and cognitively, has always stuck with me as something that would be worth exploring more. Well, not Superman, because he was raised here. Well, he may have been raised here, but if his body is fundamentally different, he may not be able to have the same foods. I mean, think about how even different cultures, there are some, there are some U.S. gene, not U.S., there are some, there are some human gene pools where people can't digest milk because their ancestors haven't had it for years. Well, sure. I was talking about body language. Like, yeah. yeah. But that's, that's, that's almost exactly the problem that I have with like a lot of like comic book writing or and even rebooting where it's like you have, you have a character that is essentially he is Superman, literally Superman. Why don't you? Why don't you? I, I really want to see stories about the adventures of Superman. But then you have so many writers that are like, "Wait a minute! I just figured something out. If his hair <laughs> grows, but it can't be cut, what if we have a whole storyline in which he has to?" It's, no, he's like just, Rapunzel, only he flies. And you're yeah, like, exactly. No, but, what is this? Why don't we? Why don't we explain why no one figures out he's Clark Kent? Like, well, I don't really care why no one figures yeah. out he's Clark Kent. I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy with the explanation that just like you. The, the the guy who's the, the barista at your Starbucks who kind of looks like like Barack Obama. You never wonder if he's actually Barack Obama. Just move on. Tell me stories about this incredible guy. Uh, my problem is that there's so many people in the DC universe. It sounds cool to say, well, he's an alien who's decided to infiltrate the planet and help us. But there's like 12 of them in the DC yeah, universe. Like the Martian yeah. Manhunter is right next to him doing exactly the same <laughs> do, thing. Do, do, do. But yeah. Superman hasn't, hasn't decided to infiltrate. This is just, this is just his home. This is just where he grew up. That's true. That's always been the coolest thing about that character to me. Anyway, uh, I said unkind things about Superman on Twitter and I'm not sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's, if, there, if there's one thing that Marvel can never be, they can never have that Trinity of Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman. Just these three huge operatic characters where you could write stories on an immense canvas. Because it's the Arthurian legend all over again, where Superman is Arthur, Batman is Lancelot, and Wonder Woman is Guinevere. What? Yeah. The connection between Wonder Woman and Guinevere... I would like you to expand on that without mentioning her gender. <laughs> that's the only thing I see there. Guinevere is strongly tied to the round table. The round table is what introduced the entire notion of justice and um, 
and noble knighthood, and it was the and it helped confer legitimacy to Arthur's reign by 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 becoming a symbol of statehood. So she so Guinevere was both a political marriage and a symbol of statehood that elevated Arthur and sort of gave him the social permission he needed to do what he needed to do in Britain. Okay. Okay. Um, tie it to Wonder Woman. Tie it to Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is in many ways the pragmatic conscience of the Justice League, and she's somebody who has some pretty pretty well thought out. If not nuance, but she's got some fair, she, she's got some pretty well thought out ideas on what constitutes justice and to whom it applies and under what circumstances. I would argue that in a lot of ways she's the moral authority of the Justice League in the way that S- Superman is not. I mean, Superman is supposed to be for truth, justice, in the American way. Wonder Woman's got her eye on a bigger picture. I, yeah, I, I, I just she's been written well. She's been written poorly. Yeah. But every every time <laughs> I've enjoyed it, it's been you get this sense of gravity of she's been around for a thousand years or more. I like the she, Darwin Cook. I like the Darwin Cook iteration of Wonder Woman, where she goes into Vietnam and she starts teaching women how to fight back. I think Wonder Woman might have the biggest range of good and bad writing. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there's been some bad Batman's, but there's been some really bad Wonder Womaning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 I think that as soon as you just take a look at the boots, if they have heels, you're not you're strap in. It's not going to be a, it's not going to be a good ride. If she's wearing practical <laughs> boots, the theory you're, you're of Wonder good. Woman bootage. Oh my goodness, I love it. No, exactly. Catwoman too. It's like she, I, I never got interested in that character until the redes. I think it was the the Darwin Cook redesign. Again, getting mm-hmm. back to him, where yeah. what if we just put him in? She's she's a street level fighter. Put her in motorcycle boots. Something that's practical. She cannot be in stiletto heels. We can we can kind of justify the whip because it's going to double as a belt and it's a stylistic thing but she's got to wear some sensible boots yeah this is this is why i go up and down on all the different black canary outfits is I'm, I'm like well the fishnets are kind of iconic but on the other hand not practical they're not woven from like kevlar <laughs> at least she's got a leather jacket though like that's yeah. something yeah I, I would, I would, enjoy, I would, I would be less uncomfortable with Black Canary if she were not wearing fishnets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little concerned about what the art is going to be like in Harley Quinn and Power Girl. Oh God! Well, didn't Power Girl get a new outfit? You know, Starfire got an outfit that is that is not a bikini. It's mm-hmm. not, it's more like a monokini. Yeah, it's better than the sex bot yes. version. That's right. Progress. They already had the uh, the Harley Quinn Power Girl team up in her own book. Yeah, that's that. That it's they're great characters to play off each other. So God, God knows what version we're going to see by the time this is published. But oh, pow, right, Power Girl's the one with the boob window, right? They've yeah. worked her into. They've worked. They've worked Harley Quinn into Errol already, which was very funny. Very had, briefly, she had an off an off camera line. It was an off camera line, but I was like, oh my gosh, oh my god. Some some of us are are a year behind on Arrow, so shush. Well, this this was last year. Okay. Well, so shush. I still don't understand why they can't just cast Tara Strong as Harley Quinn in a movie or TV show. She does the voice better than anyone but Arlene Sorkin, and she looks like Harley Quinn. But when they're doing this uh, Suicide Squad movie, different Harley. If I may be honest, the reason they're not going to cast her is because she's in her 40s. All right. Oh, it's not enough clown white on. No, you say, you say, you say, but, no, but true. the thing is, is yeah. they want, they want women that, um, and this is going to sound mean. They want women that twenty-something men can men can can be like. Well, plausibly, if you're ready to turn to the bar, the age difference would not be so great. <laughs> well, here is my basic thesis about Harley Quinn: the more clothes mm-hmm. she has on, the sexier the character is. You may be alone in that thesis. 
<laughs> oh yeah, look at her in Batman the Animated Series, covered head to toe. Oh, Everybody she's adorable loves her. in that. Yeah. Now look at the Juggalo version from right after the New Fifty Two started. Awful. <laughs> Everyone hates her. Yeah. I just I just don't know that she's ever sexy because she's she's got a real flaming instability that yeah she does <laughs> you, you want you want you want to watch from a safe distance but you don't want her to ever know your name <laughs> listen don't judge me chris sims might have written the definitive column on the on the unspeakable tragedy of being harley quinn where the idea is that she's hopelessly in love with she, like even her dream of being in love with somebody is just so fundamentally rotten and wrong there's no way she can ever live as a fulfilled person in any capacity whatsoever and that's that's just a huge tragedy when you stop to think about it so it's made me feel very sorry for this whack job character. I've always thought there was a real sadness about her because the Joker is just a force of untamable insanity, almost like a force of nature. Whereas Harley Quinn is this woman who is has she she really seems to have a mental illness that keeps her from having a normal life, and that if there were a way, there could be a way of curing her of this, but. It's just not going to happen in her current condition. And that's always to me, that's always that time. It's never at the forefront. But every time as I'm, I'm reading these these books by uh, Palmiotti and and uh, and, and uh, oh, God, I can't remember her name. Amanda and Amanda Connor. I love these books. There's always that tiny little thing of, oh, there's just a drop of tra- tragedy in there. Yeah. See, my favorite Harley Quinn is in Batman Adventures, the comic book that's based on Batman, the animated series. After they peel her away from the Joker and she's hanging out with Poison Ivy. It's a very similar uh, dynamic because she really likes Ivy and Ivy sort of tolerates her. <laughs> yep. But it's healthier than with the Joker. Mm-hmm. I don't read DC Comics. I don't know. You should read Batman Adventures. Those were fun. Well, actually, as as you all know, I'm a huge Gail Simone fangirl, and um, her her, her villains, United and Secret Six, are phenomenal. And I love the Secret Six for the the puppet, um, the guy who uh, has replaced all of his joints with uh, rotating ball bearings, because he's he's Harley (laughs) Quinn levels of crazy. And he's delightful, because he spends all of his evil doing money on buying um, custom-made outfits for his his pet monkeys. And it's just oh, it's awesome! You've got to read it. And the Her lettering for Sonia is also fun. And the and the lettering for that series is exquisite because um, she they they do a really good job of different of, of very different lettering styles for all the characters. But um, 